it's a big undertaking, but there should be some kind of customer loyalty and engagement strategy. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook, presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 78, and today's guest is Carlos Dunlap Beard. Carlos is a longtime friend, and now I come to find he's also interested in bourbon. Professionally, he's been part of companies that have provided loyalty programs and strategies to companies for almost all of his career. This podcast was done early one morning recently, so thanks to Carlos for getting his day started on the early side with me. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Branstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready? break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook podcast. Today, I'm joined by Carlos Dunlap-Beard. Carlos is the VP Business Development and Loyalty Strategy at Ebo. He spent the past 25 years cultivating a rich background in B2C and B2B engagement strategies, direct marketing, business development, customer acquisition, customer loyalty, data analysis, and strategic marketing. For Ebo, Carlos leads the business development efforts, as well as he maintains an eye for the future with ongoing loyalty strategy and vision work. A proven marketing strategist and consumer engagement thought leader, Carlos has authored dozens of articles, blog posts, and white papers featured in numerous publications and has spoken at many conferences and events. Carlos, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Nice to see you again. It's been a while, and uh, uh, thanks for uh, accommodating me at a very early hour. Most of uh, the, the listeners know that I'm an early morning guy, uh, but Carlos is uh, in central time, I believe. And uh, so th this is early morning, and he's uh, sipping his coffee while he speaks. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm normally up at this time, but I'm usually not so engaged in a, in a, in a thoughtful conversation. <laughs> Just me and the dog. We'll, we'll tee this up and make this uh, really easy for okay. early morning. So one of the things I've seen, I think you have it out on your on your LinkedIn page. You're in a big picture right in front of Maker's Mark Distillery. Are you a bourbon guy? Uh, yeah, I'm absolutely a bourbon guy. I'm, I may be the bourbon guy. I was a vodka guy for most of my kind of adulthood. And then I joined uh, Maker Maker's Mark's uh, ambassador program. Someone mentioned it at one point. I joined the program, but I'd never drank bourbon before. And then I thought, hey, I'm in this program. Maybe I should try it. And I tried it and I was converted almost instantly. And that, that picture is funny enough of me standing in front of the Maker's Mark uh, sign uh, as if I was kind of king of the world uh, was <laughs> was this about 10 years ago when my girls were like um, one was in high school and two were in middle school. No, one two were in high school. One was in middle school. Uh, I thought, you know, what is what do girls need on spring break? Oh, a trip to Louisville, you know, <laughs> and and then uh, so we did like the Louisville Slugger Museum. We did the Muhammad Ali uh, Museum, and of course we had to do the Maker's Mark tour in, at the distillery. You know, well at least one of us had a great time. I had a great time at that distillery tour, 
and uh and that pic that's where that picture was taken oh that's cool i i like my my bourbon as well i'm a blanton's guy but uh certainly uh we'll we'll try lots of of different ones so that's a good thing we'll have to talk more about that we usually start the show um, and get kind of the first story of each of our guests kind of where they were brought up uh anything that might have suggested that you had be would end up in your career as knee deep in loyalty as you have i don't know if anything suggested it but it was kind of a turning point it was like the briefest of uh jobs that i had um at a direct marketing firm in fact like in the mid 90s um clarion and they were a division of darcy i don't know if you remember if you remember uh dmbb i i took this this stint over there uh took kind of a sabbatical from my my marriage career and it was my my first exposure to like a data-driven kind of marketing approach you know the the bigger ad agency you know darcy they dominated the headlines and clarion was like this 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 little stepchild that delivered projects but with measurable results and uh as i said i only stayed there for a short period of time maybe nine months but it, it altered my thinking regarding what i wanted to do with my career and how i wanted to focus on proving out the value of the things that I did and that we did as an organization. It was the first step of thinking differently. Okay. You had, uh, when we were talking about uh, the show and, and doing this, you made a comment uh, on email about the first time that you and I met. Um, and this is back in you know roughly 2015. I was working at Steve Madden. You were working at a company called CrowdTwist, and we were looking to build out a loyalty program. And you came in. Th this was, you know, you reminded me this. This is very me. So uh, tell <laughs> tell tell us what you what I said. Okay. Yeah, it was an interesting time, and yeah, it was 2015. I had just taken the position at um, at CrowdTwist, and I, I'd been brought in to help establish a strategic consultancy and solidify, you know, solidify CrowdTwist like loyalty credibility. Um, and no more than like a month after starting, we made a trip from 23rd and Park where. CrowdTwist was located over to Queens to visit you and the, the Madden team. And shortly afterwards, I mean, um, you made the decision, thankfully, to to go with CrowdTwist and to uh, to design and hopefully implement, you know, Steve Madden's like first loyalty program. <laughs> so there wasn't any kind of like strategy or consulting documents or process at CrowdTwist at the time. And again, I'd only been there less than a month. So I used some of the, you know, my old stuff that I had from prior roles, did a little copy and paste <laughs> on a program design process and kickoff document. And I just sent it to you uh, for what I assume was like going to be a quick review. Um, and about, you know, that was what, uh, like a morning or end of day, probably is usually how I do it. You know, somewhere around midday, because I remember being out to lunch with some friends. Uh, you called myself, divorce your displeasure <laughs> with that sloppy document. That contain like references to other brands I and mean, it probably even had some typos in it i don't remember the particulars but you weren't pleased i remember that part I remember standing in the sun on a rooftop restaurant with you talking to me you weren't yelling or anything you just were voicing your displeasure and at the end of this short but uh poignant conversation you made a statement that i'll never forget you simply said don't embarrass me and you hung up <laughs> and um I, I was crushed i, I was and and, pro and actually i was the one who was embarrassed in that moment and from that day i make every effort to ensure i don't feel that way again or put other people in that position and i don't know why i even put that in that message to you yesterday you know when we were just confirming our time together today 
But, uh, you know, maybe I just wanted you to know kind of like the impact you had on me. And maybe also I needed to remind myself, as I usually do these days, to be prepared, you know, focused and, and present for any kind of engagement I'm about to have. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, and hopefully I was respectful. Oh, you were. You were. Again, you were. You didn't call me out of my name. And I appreciate that. And you didn't <laughs> yell. You just were, you know, you were to the point and you were serious about this. And you're like, hey, man, this is a big deal for us. Big deal for me. You know, I, you know, I get, I, you know, this is all the nuance I took from it. I'm recommending you guys and you will not embarrass me. I won't have it. You know, you know, you need to raise your game. And it was, it was truth. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things we, uh, we hope that people take away from this show is, uh, and we do summarize at the end, three key takeaways that you can bring back to your personal life or to your personal um, or, or to your professional life. And, you know, one of my mantras has always been the devil's in the details. And, uh, you know, it's easy to sign a deal, but then, you know, can we get it executed and and things like that? So, um, you know, one of the things that's enamored me about you is that, you know, you're a career loyalty professional. And I don't think there are a lot of guys, women out there that are career loyalty professionals. You know, as time has progressed, it's a perception of mine. It may not be right. Um, as time has progressed, um, loyalty has become a bigger, more important um, aspect of of business. And so people kind of came into the industry, but that's not you know, your path, your path is you got started in it very early. So give us a short perspective of why loyalty and why you have sustained it for so long. Yeah. And speaking of career professionals, Mike Capizzi is the gentleman who introduced me to, to Maker's Mark to the Ambassadors program. He's doing some great work still in loyalty to this day. I didn't come directly into loyalty. I did do uh, like five years in radio and TV but eventually found my way to Merits uh, in 1993. Uh, Merits did a lot of consumer, uh, I mean, not consumer, I'm sorry, I did no consumer business. They did a lot of employee incentive, sales channel, effectiveness type programs, workplace safety programs, but nothing to the consumers. But as I said, I prior to that, in like 97-ish or so, 98, I did that short stint at, at Clarion uh, and did the direct marketing stuff. And then in 99, I got wind of a business plan to do the, to start this division that focused on, you know, consumers. And, you know, we chose to call it Merit's Frequency Marketing because we weren't established yet. And our CEO at the time, our chairman, uh, Steve Merritt, didn't want to put loyalty behind it because he wasn't sure it was going to be sustainable. So, so I was part of this team that wrote this business plan. Uh, for this marriage frequency marketing initiative. And it was approved. And I was like amongst the first like seven people to join the team. You know, we had no clients, no technology. <laughs> we had like a four box process and uh, some vaporware that we call vault, but but nothing real. Sounds like you've been involved in a lot of vaporware, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have. I mean, you know, sometimes on this on this side of the house, you know, you've sat mostly on the brand side, but on this side of the house, we have a concept and we believe that we need a client to go with us on that journey. Uh, but you can't say, I need you to go with me on this journey. Not all the time anyway, but, you know, we know we can pull it off. We just need someone to, to believe in us to do it. Uh, and that's kind of where we were. We had no clients, but you know, and I started as a marketing strategist. I wrote a lot of presentations, did a lot of, you know, a lot of PowerPoint, a lot of RFP responses, just trying to get that first client. 
which we happen we happen to get like providian i think was the first client back in the day and they were a, like a subprime credit card company like in the bay area and then we went on to get like nine of the top 10 uh fis in like city and chase and bank of america u.s bank i mean we were like credit card banking like juggernauts um um, so it continued to evolve. I mean, I started as a strategist and I became director of strategy, was promoted to like VP of strategy, uh, you know, on the senior leadership team reporting to the president. Uh, then I took on analytics and reporting as well, because again, strategy is nothing without data. You know, I love data driven strategy. I made the case, was awarded the business, uh, reward, rewarded that responsibility. Uh, and then, you know, I was challenged with taking this shared services and, and transforming it into a consultancy. So I, I made a, I made it into a profit center that delivered a few extra million dollars to the top line. People were happy. Life was good. Uh, but at some point um, due to a few changes, I decided I needed to do something different. So I departed Merits, though at the end of 2008 uh, on good terms, all worked out well, but uh, by the time I left, we had taken a $0 uh, business and turned into a half a billion dollars in revenue to merits. So it was like nine plus years and it was, it was pretty impressive. And I'm, I'm proud to be a part of that. So then you were on your way, um, for loyalty as brands think about, you know, loyalty, if they don't have one today, mm -hmm. how do you counsel them to think about whether a loyalty program is the right thing for them to roll out? It's not for everyone, but most brands, as far as a program program like big l loyalty with points and rewards and you know a technology platform and some program management i mean that's it's a big undertaking but there should be some kind of customer loyalty and engagement strategy <laughs> you know what are we going to do how are we going to talk to our customers how are we going to differentiate mark from carlos from john from from sarah you know there has to be something there uh it's more than just collecting emails it, it has to be a way you're going to a way you're going to communicate and hopefully not only communicate out but receive some kind of information back. And uh, there are so many mechanisms uh, to do that these days. Technology enables it. Uh, consumers are willing, you know, if they're getting some kind of reciprocity. It, it's just a matter of are the brands going to do the right thing and do the responsible thing once they get that data. You know, an organization has to be ready for it. In fact, I was just having this conversation with uh, a colleague yesterday, and we were talking, to, we were just musing about getting a client to accept and understand or agree to implementing a loyalty program is, it takes time. No one's just going to do it overnight. I can't call you up and say, hey, Mark, what are you doing over there? You ever think about a loyalty program? <laughs> You're like, what? Man, I have 500 other priorities. I don't have time to think about this. However, if you're thinking about loyalty, we can help you. We can't talk you into it. And it but it takes a while because as you know, you know, from doing this in many different organizations and in, in, in leadership role that you've been in, you know, marketing's involved, IT is involved, CFO is involved, you know, store ops, they're involved, you know, merchandising. There are a lot of entities involved and you can't do that quickly, but you have to do it in a in a manner in which everyone is in agreement and aligned on what this loyalty program needs to be, what it needs to be, what needs to be delivered in order for it to be considered a success. How are you going to measure it and how are you going to support it? I mean, and that takes 
in a, in a big organization with a lot of different pieces and departments, it takes time to, to figure that out. You, you use the word measure, you know, there's really nothing that we should be doing that we don't feel like we can accurately measure. Loyalty programs uh, are one of those things that I have found really hard to measure. You know, sure, you can measure how many points you've given and how many rewards you've given out and how often they're redeemed. But whether or not you're getting incremental sales from having the loyalty program or not seems to be a difficult challenge. So how do you help your your clients and, and people that, you know, brands that you've talked to, how do you help them think through that level of analysis? Yeah. Again, love these conversations because I'm not an analyst. It's, uh, it's, it's something I wish I could do and, and be better at, but I realize I do have shortcomings there. But I, I love the power of data and the ability to analyze it. I know what I want. I just know how to always get it. So fortunately, I have people I can lean on. Measurement is is important. And, and, and um, starting off with a baseline is, is one of the things I recommend more than anything else. For instance, if there's a a retailer that we're going to work with and they've got you know both online you know brick and mortar stores uh they, you know they have the retail footprint and they've got ability to capture data maybe they have a legacy loyalty program or at least an email capture program where they can again determine what your spend frequency is your you know your trips your aov all those things i want to baseline that because that's how we know what we're doing is having a success that's one of the ways you know, obviously there are control groups, there's outliers because the brand is going to say, hey, I was going to get those sales anyway. You know, I was going to do some amazing marketing and I was going to do this great promotion. It was going to give me some incrementality. I already had it forecasted in the budget. So what are you doing above and beyond? Because when you really think about what loyalty and how it's measured, loyalty, one of the things that loyalty, one of the pillars of loyalty is its ability to drive behavioral change. So. If it's not driving behavioral change, it's not really loyalty. Certainly, it's not a good loyalty strategy. In order to determine if you're, making, you're driving behavioral change, you have to have a measurement tool and understanding where you are or where you started and where you are today, understanding any other factors that are coming in. The only thing a loyalty program should be able to take credit for is that incrementality above and beyond what other initiatives are delivering and what uh, the customer did prior to joining that program. Um, so I'm a big fan of measurement, ongoing measurement, ongoing enhancements and analysis, insights, uh, because another key thing about it, uh, a, loyalty, a loyalty strategy, it has to evolve. You can't just stay where you were. Well, what if Amazon only still just sold books, right? I mean, your strategy has to evolve so that you're adding more value, delivering more value, you know, in order to make more money. The devil's in the details. You probably have heard that phrase time and time again in your professional life. Projects get started with great intentions, but you no longer have the time to pay attention to the little things that could make the difference between success and failure. At Details Interactive, you can discuss your business with a seasoned direct-to-consumer marketing executive who's helped launch and grow web businesses and integrate multi-channel marketing initiatives. Learn more at detailsinteractive.com. We're recording this uh, kind of towards the end of uh, May 2023. You're out and about uh, quite a bit, uh, attending conferences, talking to potential clients and, and current clients. What are you hearing from uh, the business climate, from CMOs and other contacts that you have? Yeah, um, 
well, that's not good. Yeah, <laughs> it, not... <laughs> it, it is tough, Mark. It, it is really tough right now. I mean, the the environment and the economy and consumers purchase behavior, you know, their confidence, whatever index you use to measure how the economy is doing. You know, it, it used to be when, when we talked to CMOs, and I talked to CMOs specifically, I'll just speak about myself. Uh, they were concerned with acquisition. They were concerned with retention. You know, they were concerned with, with driving more. They were concerned with, they would say things like, hey, I'm good at acquiring customers. I'm not as good as getting them to come back for that second and third transaction. You know, how do I do that? But today, um, I would say over the last couple of months, the conversation has been different. It, it's It's been more along the lines of, I, I'm just concerned that I may not have a job next month. You know, there's a lot of moving pieces here. Our resources are dwindling. I can't get priority in the, you know, from, the, from IT uh, to even do this if I wanted to. I'm not sure. Oh, and by the way, we just had a change at the top. Our CEO is is out and we're, you know, the CFO is not interim CEO and he's not approving anything. Those are the kind of conversations we're having today. I mean, not across the board, fortunately, uh, but the the vibe is just different right now and the concerns are real. Yeah, I I think uh, that's true based upon what I'm seeing, what you read in the in the marketplace and um uh, certainly, the apparel uh, footwear sector uh, is somewhat challenged. Um, seems like the uh, the lower end, uh, you know, kind of the uh, the value folks are, are doing okay, but uh, you know, above there, it's uh, it's definitely uh, spotty. So let's kind of pivot a bit to your current role uh, at Ebo. Uh, maybe talk a little bit first about what Ebo is, formerly uh, Claris Commerce, and uh, your role there, and and how you're trying to uh, help brands create value we claris is a kind of all-in-one uh customer loyalty and engagement uh organization a solution provider i mean everything from short-term promotions which we call loyalty amplifiers whether it's a sweepstakes or an instant win contest or a social media play or you know, user-generated content kind of deal uh, or um, more of a traditional points-based, activity-based loyalty program, uh, things in the kind of paid uh, arena in terms of uh, something we call paid enrollment, which is a kind of a one-time fee for access, uh, uh, which is really good for brands that are uh, introducing new products and services and want to create a, 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 a kind of a FOMO kind of culture. Uh, all the way to paid and always on kind of a subscription uh, loyalty. So we do all those things, including all the program management, uh, well, program design, first of all, implementation, program management, um, reporting, analysis, enhancements, all those things. So it's a full suite of services. And I, I, and I think one of the things that allowed us to get here, because we were originally just focused on the paid or premium loyalty opportunities or solutions was the acquisition of prize logic in august i think it was of 2021 and bringing in those promotions uh promotional chops of that loyalty expertise uh which more the traditional point space type loyalty and activity loyalty it really kind of solidified our, our offering and, and allowed us to give more and provide more value to the marketplace and especially even our existing clients who are loving the, the ideas and concepts and recommendations we're making to them now on how they can, you know, kind of supersize and, and evolve their current uh, loyalty programs. 
When, when you talk to marketers and you know they may be thinking about what I'll call a, a premium subscription solution, what's the benefit you know or the differences between traditional loyalty, you know, you earn points kind of like you know on United and a premium loyalty program? There are a few. Uh, the first one is, in, especially in the way in which we do it, um, a premium program is budget friendly. You know, it, it usually doesn't require a, a big budget, if any budget. And if there is a budget needed for implementation, it gets paid back or offset, you know, immediately, almost immediately once the program launches. Because it's you, our the premium programs that we do are cash positive, usually on day one. Right. So that's that's a big difference, because usually in a traditional loyalty program, there's a year and a half to two years before you get close to a break even point. You know, and then it's slow incremental growth. With premium loyalty, it's more like a hockey stick. You know, the growth is is tremendous. The incrementality or the behavioral change that I've, I've spoken of is different as well. In a traditional program, you're looking at a, maybe a 2%, 5%, 10% or whatever it may be increase in AOV or purchase frequency or but with with uh, premium loyalty that's you that that starts around 25% and some of our clients get get close to 50% increase in AOV and frequency it's a, it's really a big deal the the other thing about premium and the one thing that it, you know it needs to be understood is that it's not for everyone so when people say i can't charge my clients or my customers a fee well it's not for every, all your customers, it's only for a small percentage. And, and it's those who will do the mental math and determine, will I get value out of this or won't? Or won't I? And those who think they will, they go in and, and they give it a go. And if, if they find they're not getting as much value, they can say, ah, this isn't for me. I'll, I'll do more of the traditional or the, the free program and I'll, I'll ride that one out. Um, so the, the, the beauty is they can exist together. It can be this premium kind of VIP tier or whatever name you want to give it that's in addition um to the points program or the regular program that allows consumers to make a decision on the type of relationship you know they want to have with the brand when you think of traditional loyalty programs out there and, and you start talking to people which are the brands that stand out to you that are offering real value through a traditional loyalty program Whew, wow there's there's a lot <laughs> there are a lot of programs out there that are that are pretty cool. There's a lot of loyalty out there that's pretty cool. I mean, you have those who don't even have a program like an Apple and Harley Davidson that just have a cult-like following, and that's just crazy. That's brand. That, that's yeah. their brand. That, yeah, right, that's their brand. The, has, exactly. has the following, right? But yeah, you know, exactly. You know, I'll, I'll I'll tee it up. You know, just for for one. You know, I'm a United Flyer. You know, I certainly now it's easy for me because i i fly out of newark uh, in new jersey uh, big hub they dominate the market but i certainly look to united first because i have status uh, i have points i'm building value are there other retailers out there that you've seen that uh, people are thinking about it that way absolutely and and the thing about the program though i will i will say real quick that a loyalty program or strategy should not just build loyalty and affinity towards the program. It's, it needs to build it towards the brand. So I think that that's important. And, and, you know, sometimes we as like loyalty practitioners or whatever we want to call ourselves might get all hoity-toity about our great program or whatever, but it's not about the program. It's about the brand and the consumer and the relationship, you know, between the two. Um, but for the, as far as the programs out there, I mean, Starbucks continues to do amazing things. Um, which also is kind of its own cult. 
Uh, I like what Ulta and, and Sephora are doing. Amex has been at it for a while and they continue to evolve uh, a lot with partnerships and the value they they provide via partnerships and experiences. I'm a big fan of what AMC Theaters um, is doing. I mean, part of it is I have a little stake in it because I was part of the design and, and implementation of that program. I just like the way they continue to evolve that program from a paid only annual fee to a, a free program to now kind of a monthly kind of all you can eat menu as far as uh, movie going. Uh, that's really helped them financially uh, when things got really tough during the pandemic. I like what AARP is doing in their programs. I mean, it, it's a lot. So that's one thing that I have, I have concerns about them, but they're doing some good things in terms of benefits uh, to members. From a paid or premium perspective, I really like what Coldwater Creeks, you know, my Coldwater Rewards is about that whole premium subscription thing and and solution and, and the fact that it provides those enhanced benefits to drive loyalty and spend back at the brand, as well as it, the program provides kind of lifestyle benefits of um, that members can shop at other retailers that then generate uh, kind of like uh, program currency that I can only be spent back at cold water. So it kind of helps with that. I can acquire a customer, but how do I get them to come back? Well, if they have currency to spend back at your brand, they'll come back. And I really like, you know, it's really tough sometimes if we go outside of retail, you think about like consumer goods companies, it is really tough for them. I mean, with the whole distribution channel and, and the way they go to market and it gets sold by a Walmart or Target or wherever grocery store, how do they know? But I like what uh, Johnson and Johnson's doing with their care club and um, and the fact that they are welcoming consumers, driving certain behaviors, but they're really ca capturing a lot of PII. They're really understanding more about their customers than they can possibly get from a, a survey or a focus group because uh, there are sur surveys and communities and focus groups within the program. But there's also behaviors. Um, there's There's content to be viewed. There's a um, an incentive to uh, provide a referral. I'm not a referral, but a testimonial or actually to do a, a re review. That's what I'm looking for, a product review. So I think that's pretty cool. So there's there's all kind of great programs out there. I mean, actually, I was in a meeting yesterday with about 10 of my colleagues, uh, probably about 12, where we get together um, every two months and review like the top 80 programs that we're looking at. Actually, I wouldn't say top 80. Let's just, just say 80 because there's no really rank order. It's just a matter of we just find them interesting and we want to stay on top of what's happening, where it's happening. Because one of the things I would say is that good ideas and good strategies aren't industry or sector specific. You know, you can find as a retailer, you can find a great strategy, you know, in telecom or whatever or in the airlines or wherever it might be that you can find a way to incorporate that if it makes sense for your brand and for your customers. Yeah, good stuff. And, you know, PII, personally identifiable information. That's one of the reasons why it seems that companies move towards loyalty. You know, there's certainly, uh, well, maybe I should pose this as a question as a, rather than a statement, but, you know, certainly we're trying to create 
brand loyalty. I, I don't believe you can buy loyalty from customers. You have to demonstrate value to them. But one of the reasons it seems that you know brands are moving into loyalty is to capture personally identifiable information from customers as privacy laws have changed and as it's become more difficult uh, to capture that information and know who you're talking to. So that was a soliloquy there, but true or false? Oh, I think it's absolutely true. I, I think it's the right, and I think it's the right thing to do. And as long as you make the consumer aware that you're capturing information and allow them to opt in to you capturing information, as well as allow them to opt out of you holding on to their information if they don't want you to, uh, you're usually going to you're going to be in a good place as long as you understand the consumers have a choice and you give them the right to exercise that choice. But yeah, data is is huge. Um, and it's great for brands who actually use it and analyze it and, and then uh, alter what they do, how they do it, what they say to Mark versus what they say to Carlos. Uh, it's it's brilliant because uh, look, feeling recognized by a brand is, again, one of those pillars. You have to appeal to an individual's vanity and make them feel special and recognized uh, by the strategy. And if you don't, you know, it, it's not good. And and. You do podcasts on this. You've been in the business for a while. You've been in, on the retail side, but you're always thinking about how do I engage my customers? You know, the worst thing you can do is, is kind of betray trust. I mean, there's a couple of programs and a couple of brands that I, I like, but man, they, they've collected data on me for three plus years and they don't understand me. You know, they send me the same generic message they send everyone else. And it is annoying. It is absolutely yeah. annoying. I think that's one of the challenges is, you know, is having enough people and the tools to support the personalization and segmentation and leveraging, you know, the data. I've told this story before. Years ago, my wife was a big shopper of our local supermarket. And, um, you know, every time she would go in, she had in those days, you had a card. And for years, she'd go in and give this card, get the discounts, you know, and the, the promotions that were out there. But they never did anything with the data. Right. They treated her like anybody else that walked into the store until one day there was a dozen roses sitting on the front porch. And I was teasing her and said, you must have a secret admirer. <laughs> well, sure enough, it was from the local supermarket and they rewarded her for being a best customer. Now, that wasn't a big deal. They certainly weren't using the specificity of what she was buying and how frequently, but they knew she bought a lot. And, mm -hmm. you know, they leveraged that information and, you know, that got a lot of, you know, buzz around town because, you know, you tell your friends and say, oh, well, you know, uh, Kings, you know, sent my wife a dozen roses. Now, there's a lot of jokes that go on with that. But, you know, I, I wish more brands that had the data actually used the data. 100 percent. We are down at now officially at the end of the show. I have a two-minute drill, seven questions, one-word answers. Uh -oh. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready, I hope. Okay. A brand that you admire or that inspires you? I'm going to say uh, Maker's Mark. Okay. Favorite app on your phone? Uh, IMDB. Last website other than Amazon that you shopped from? Pet Care RX. Something that you're not good at, but that you wish that you were. Analytics. We heard about that during the show. <laughs> Charitable organization that you're passionate about. Equal Justice Initiative. If you had one superpower, what would it be? 
teleportation, transportation. I want to be able to get from where I am to where I need to be. Well, if you lived in New York City, you certainly would want that too. And other than family, what's your most prized possession? My bourbon collection of over 60 bottles. All right. Well, we're going to need some pictures of that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. Well, Carlos, where can people reach out to you on social media if they so chose? I'm uh, most most active on LinkedIn. I mean, Carlos Dunlap, you know, whatever. The, I think that's what I still get listed as. And uh, I also have a Twitter handle, which is I think is also Carlos Dunlap. <laughs> um, okay. I have an Instagram account, but I rarely if ever post or actually I don't post anything on Instagram. I just watch okay. other people's lives. <laughs> if people want to connect with you, it uh, seems like LinkedIn is the place to, to do yes, it. Sir. So uh, anyway, great to see you. Uh, thanks again uh, very much for joining so early and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Absolutely, Mark. I really appreciate it. Great talking to you. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Carlos Dunlap Beard for coming on the marketing playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, just like the Boy Scouts, be prepared. Carlos spoke about a story from when we first met. During that conversation, I needed to have the tough conversation with a new vendor partner that helped clarify my expectations as the buyer of their services. Be prepared and be present in all of your conversations, whether that be with a client, your boss, your colleagues, or with someone that you supervise. And number two, strategy is nothing without data. I see so many brands assume that they know what their customers want. Don't be afraid. Ask them. It's especially true when you're thinking about creating or changing a loyalty program. Ask the customers what they want to see and what they think they will respond to. You might not get all of your answers, but it's certainly better to let the data drive your strategy than making assumptions. And number three, if you're going to start down the path of building a loyalty program, understand that this is an enterprise-wide project and that all internal teams need to be aligned. The program will touch everyone from marketing all the way to customer service and every team in between. Make sure that someone owns the program, even if you cannot have a dedicated person, but someone needs to be the point person looking out for the customer's perspective of your program. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time. The devil is in the details. Mm -hmm.